All right, I had to lose the jacket. I was burning up up here, so. All right, so this morning what we're going to talk about is uh, how sometimes we can avoid God's direction. All right, so when I think of the word direction or directions, a lot of us nowadays we use some kind of GPS, whether it's on our phone or something in the car. One way or another, we like to use a GPS, right? Um, And it's funny how... If we're going somewhere that's completely new to us, we put that in and we put all of our trust and it's going to get us there, right? I read a story about recently within the past year, um, one of the GPS, one of the navigational apps that's out there, it had some kind of issue where um, it was bypassing people around this big backup. This was somewhere out west and uh, this big backup. And so it had these people taking some back roads to get around it. and. Basically, what ended up happening was at the end of this dirt road, there was just this big open field. And it was this real, like, soggy, muddy, horrible mess. And the funny thing is, people drove into it, right? Maybe they were trying to turn around so they can go back the other way, but it's kind of funny how so many times we can just put all our trust that 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 navigation system is going to get us there, right? And they they even went into that nasty field. They got stuck in it. Um, But it's funny to kind of think about something like that. But we also have difficult times following after God and his direction for us. We'll put all of our trust at this navigation system that some man created that needs electricity, it needs uh, some kind of wireless connection to get us there. We're putting all our trust in all these different things when there's been plenty of times it's failed us before, but we struggle to follow after God's direction even though he's led us through things time and time again. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning Um, Basically, we all know that God has a plan for us, right? We all know that he has a plan for us, whether it's on a big picture scale, like what does God want me to do for my life? What is he calling me to do? But we also know that he has a plan for us day to day, right? He wants us to follow him. He wants us to serve him. He wants us to be able to witness the people that we come in contact with day to day. So a lot of times it's really easy to figure out what his direction is on a day to day basis because we know how he wants us to live. But there might be situations that come along day to day where we're not exactly sure or he's trying to tell us and we're not listening. Um, But either way, we know that God has a plan for us. Maybe we're trying to figure out that big picture plan. We're trying to understand what it is that he wants for us. Um, But whether it's big picture or small picture, he has something for us. But this morning what we're going to talk about and what we're going to look at is a few different examples, um, bad examples really, of people who didn't really do what they should have done when it came to following God's direction. We're going to look at three different examples. And then before we close, we're going to look at, real quick, three good examples that we should follow. So the first one we're going to look at is uh, Jonah. We're going to, so for that, we're going to be in Jonah chapter 1. We are going to jump around a little bit this morning, so hopefully you're, you're ready to do that. Uh, We're not going to go super deep into each individual passage, but we're going to kind of look at it and see how did this person handle following God's direction and why that was bad. So in Jonah chapter 1, we're just going to read the first three verses, which is kind of funny. That's how quickly Jonah got himself into trouble. He got God's direction, and within three verses, he was already doing something he shouldn't have been doing. So Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, says, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish 
from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. So I think uh, not the last time that I, I filled in for Pastor John, but the time before that, I think we actually went into the story of Jonah and kind of broke it down a little bit deep, more deeply than we're going to do this morning. Um, but basically, like I said, right from the get-go, right as we read through those first three verses, based on Jonah's reaction, we can tell that he didn't like what God was calling him to do, right? And just from the little bit that we can see here, we can probably gather that he was uneasy about the fact of going to Nineveh because of the kind of people that they were, the reputation that they had. And in verse 2, it says, it refers to them and it says that they had great wickedness, all right? So... That right there is probably some, one of the reasons why Jonah didn't really want to go. Uh, but we find ourselves in that situation too, right? God calls us to do something. He gives us some kind of direction. Even when we're asking for his direction, right? We're praying, asking for guidance, whether it's, again, day-to-day or big picture. We're asking for his guidance, and then he'll give it to us. And we're like, eh, I don't know about that, right? It, it doesn't sound too good to us. But there's plenty of times when we don't like what God's calling us to do. And honestly, it probably happens more often than we would like to admit, right? Because we like to be comfortable. We like to do things that we'd like to do. Um, and whether that's witnessing, a lot of times that has to do with witnessing people. Whether it's a stranger, uh, it could be a coworker, even a family member. Uh, a lot of times I feel like we feel uncomfortable when it comes to witnessing, that's one of the biggest things that we, we address on Wednesday nights with the teens upstairs is we, you know, a lot of times teens struggle with how do I invite a friend to church? How do I share my faith with them? Because that's something that, at least for them, doesn't come up very often in a day-to-day conversation, so they don't know how to get that conversation started. So it's definitely something that's uncomfortable for them. And it can be uncomfortable for us too, right? Um, but it doesn't just have to be witnessing the people. Maybe God wants us to serve in an area that maybe we're not super comfortable in doing. Maybe he wants us, he's, we feel that he's calling us to lead in some kind of a teaching role within the church, right? Maybe he's calling us to serve in the community by doing some kind of physical labor that we might feel like is a little bit out of our personal abilities. Whatever it might be, he, he might be calling us to do something, leading us, giving us direction to do something that we don't really like because maybe it makes us uncomfortable. Sometimes maybe he's directing us to give up something that's important to us, right? There might be times in our lives when there's something that is a part of our life, it's a really important part of our life, and itself isn't a bad thing, it's not a sin. But maybe we're giving more attention to that thing than we are giving attention to God. We're elevating that, that hobby, that friendship, whatever it might be, we're elevating it above God in our priorities. And so maybe that's what he's giving us direction to, to give up something that's important to us. Whatever it might be, it's just not something that sounds good to us. We're asking for his direction, he gives it to us, and then we become hesitant because it doesn't sound too good. As we go on through Jonah, in, in those three verses, we also see that he ignored God, right, by running the other way. He ignored God even when it was inconvenient for him. How did he do that? He left and just instead of just staying put, right? He could have ignored God's calling Instead of running the other way, he could have just sat there and just not gone, right? And sometimes we'll do that. Sometimes we'll make things even more complicated for ourselves just to avoid the direction that God's giving us. Another way that he kind of avoided God's direction when it was inconvenient, we see in the second half of verse 3, it says, So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it, talking about the ship. 
Jonah was willing to spend money in order to avoid, God, avoid God's direction, right? That we talked before about things that aren't comfortable for us. It's never comfortable for us to want to spend money, right? I mean, sure, we, we like to get the things that we exchange for money, but maybe we, we're hesitant in spending money. We don't like giving up money because, you know, we've worked for it and we've earned it. And so that's something I know for me, that would be uncomfortable. It, it's inconvenient for me to have to pay whatever it is to give up money in order to avoid God's direction, right? So that's another thing that Jonah did. He, he was so willing to ignore God's call to go the complete opposite direction that he was willing to pay money to get away from God's direction. And then we also see in verse 3 that Jonah thought he could run from God. At the very end of the verse, talks about how he would go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Was God not in Tarshish? He was there, right? He's everywhere. But Jonah thought that he was going to be able to do this. He was going to be able to get away from God. <clears throat> he went down into the, the, the lower part of the ship. He thought he was going to be able to hide from God. And we read that, and that's one of the things that happens many times throughout the Bible, whether it's the Israelites in the desert, Jonah here, whether it's the disciples, whoever it might be. We read that this person is doing this thing, thinking that, you know, they can get away from God, uh, whatever it might be. It might not even be that. We read it, and we're like, that's so stupid. Why would he do that? Why would the disciples do this? And we take a step back, and we realize we do the same kind of things, right? And so then you kind of be like, okay, well, maybe they weren't that stupid. Maybe it wasn't that bad of a decision because we don't want to really condemn ourselves of that. We don't want to refer to ourselves as being dumb. But that's what he's doing here. He thought he could run from God. He thought he could hide from God. And it's, it's both crazy, but it's also kind of arrogant, right, um, to kind of think that I can outsmart God, I can hide from him, I can make him go around and look like a fool trying to find me, right? But that's, that's a pretty arrogant thought. And again, that's something that we try to do. Uh, that's something that we think we can get away from him where he can't find us. Um, there's different ways that we do that, right? Sometimes we just try to ignore his call altogether. We try to avoid any kind of time with him, whether it's reading our Bible, spending time in prayer. We might even avoid going to church or being around church family because when we're there, when we're around those people, maybe we feel a little conviction. We feel a little guilt because... You know, I'm around those people. They're trying to point me to God. I'm trying to avoid what God's trying to tell me to do because it's not comfortable for me. So we might even go to that great length of avoiding being around our, our Christian family just to avoid God's direction for our life. But that's also not the first time in the Bible that we've seen somebody try to hide from God, right? We know that Adam and Eve tried to hide from God right after they sinned. They sinned, and immediately they tried to hide from him. And it's funny because in the garden, God's walking around and he's calling out to them, asking them where they are, but he knew exactly where they were, right? He was calling out to them because he wanted them to come forward and confess. He wanted them to come out and, and stop from trying to hide from him. And that's the same thing that God works way, same way that God works with us, right? He doesn't need to know where we are. He knows where we are. He doesn't have to try and figure it out. He's just waiting for us to turn to him and seek his direction in that way. So that's really the first way that we can kind of avoid God's direction in our life. Now, as we go through these different examples, these uh, three examples that we're going to go uh, throughout the, the, the scripture this morning, we're not, I'm not giving you a how-to of how to avoid God's direction, right? We're looking at these people as bad examples. So just keep that in mind. This isn't, you know, taking notes. Okay, how, how, what do I need to do tomorrow to avoid God's direction? That's not what we're doing here. So the second person that we're going to look at this morning is uh, Gideon. So we're going to turn to Judges chapter 6. And we're going to read a few verses there. Judges chapter 6. 
All right, so if, if, you're, if you're unfamiliar with the story of Gideon, he was one of, it's pretty obvious based on the book that we're in, he was one of the judges that God used uh, in the time of the nation of Israel before he had appointed kings, all right? So before they had kings, God used judges to kind of help them get more in line with what God had for them, all right? And the interesting thing about that is that he, he was using these people to help them get in line, but the judges themselves, they, all, they weren't always perfect, right? They, were all, they weren't always in path with what God wanted for them personally. We're going to see a little bit of that here in Gideon. So Judges chapter 6, and we're going to read verses 12 through 17. It says, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. All right, real quick, that's a pretty bold thing to say, right? You have this angel of the Lord coming to you. He's coming to you with a message, and, he, and God wants to deliver a message through this angel. And right away, Gideon's like, where is God, right? Where has he been? We're, we're going through this horrible time. We don't see any of these miracles that we've heard of our whole lives. And he's pretty bold to come out and say that. So going on, verse 14, And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with thee, and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou takest me, or that thou talkest with me. So from this point on, Gideon kind of goes through this whole little game that he, he's playing with God. He puts out a fleece. He wants God to make the fleece wet, the ground dry around it. That wasn't enough. He wants God to make the, the ground wet and the fleece dry on top of the ground. He's, he's really trying to make sure that this is something that God wants for him. So basically what he's doing is he's questioning God's plan for him. And there's plenty of times when God gives us direction, right? We've been seeking his direction, and he gives it to us, and then we question it. We're not ready to just run away like Jonah did, but we question it. We, we have a lot of excuses maybe. We have a lot of concerns, a lot of doubts that this is really what God wants for me. So first of all, like we pointed out before, Gideon felt that God had forsaken his people. We saw that in verse 13. And that's a, that's a pretty relatable feeling, right? When sometimes we can, we even talked about this this last week um, in the men's Bible study. Uh, by the way, it's a shameless plug for Bible study, whether it's a men's Bible study or a women's Bible study. We have a lot of fun. We're able to go into the Word. Um, just a little side note there. But uh, we actually got into this idea of seeking after God and feeling like he's not really there, feeling like he's not really speaking back to us. Um, and one of the reasons why that's the case is maybe he's, he was going to give us direction, but he's going to give us direction in his time, right? That's one of the biggest things that I think we forget when we're trying to ask God for answer prayer, for direction, whatever it might be. We want the response. We want the answer in our time. Again, that's one of those arrogant mindsets where we feel like our time is... is more accurate, more correct than God's time. So he felt that God had forsaken his people, but we might feel like God's forsaken us. And so when we're feeling that way, where we feel like God's not there with us, he's forsaken us, why would he be calling me to do something, 
right? I haven't really heard from God. I haven't really felt God in this so long time. Why would he be calling me to do something? Or for that matter, why should I even listen? If he hasn't been listening to me, even though we, we know in our hearts that he has been listening, he just hasn't given us the answer that we're looking for when we want it. But if he hasn't been listening to me, why should I listen to him and follow after him? So Gideon, again, that example of you're reading through this and you're wondering why Gideon's feeling this way and saying these things. But again, we find ourselves in the same kind of situation. But other than questioning why God would be calling him, feeling that God's forsaken him, he also gives plenty of excuses as to why God can't use him. Verse 15, he said, And he said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. So first thing he said is, you know, you've forsaken us. Why would God be calling me to do this? He hasn't been, he hasn't been helping us this whole time. And then God kind of said, listen, I'm going to use you to save Israel. And so then he was like, all right, fine. But you can't use me because my family, they're not really this big, important family. Nobody really knows about us. We're poor. And then on top of that, I'm the worst of my family. So it's kind of funny, you know, when we, we're trying to put ourselves in the shoes of these people that we're looking at, we can do that too, right? First thing, we're, we think we're big and awesome. We know better than God. We have a better plan for ourselves than God does. We know what timing is better for us than God does. But then when he kind of gets rid of that excuse, then we come and say, well, oh, I can't do it. I can't do anything. So first thing, we're building ourselves up. We have this arrogant, prideful attitude of talking about how great we are, about knowing better for our lives, not, not wanting to do what God wants us to do. And then when he gets rid of that answer, then he's like, then, then we kind of lower ourselves and beat ourselves up, say, well, he could never use me. Basically, we use our past or our perceived lack of ability as reasons that God couldn't use us. And so, and we kind of even talked about this last time we went through Jonah, as far as how God can use us, thinking that we're not good enough for God to use us. And it's interesting, you know, when we go to witness the people, and sometimes somebody might say, well, I've already done all these bad things. I've done so many things that go against God. I've done all these horrible sins. God couldn't save me. And then we come back and we explain to them how he could save them. No matter what the sin is, no matter what they've done, God can save them from anything. But then the very next minute when God's asking us to serve him in a certain way, we come up with these excuses. Well, I can't do it because I've done this. I can't serve in this way because I used to do these things. Um, I don't have the, the abilities to be able to do that. And so you can see how we use whatever argument works best for us at the moment, even when we contradict ourselves in doing so. Um, but another thing that we do when we, we say that he can't use us because of our past or because of what we think is a lack of ability, again, that's questioning God's power and his ability to work through us. We're forgetting that when he's calling us and directing us to do something, he's not saying, here, I want you to do this. Now you're on your own, right? He's, he, he leaves us hanging. No, he's there to use us, to work through us. Because ultimately, what does he want us to be able to do in our lives? To bring glory to him, right? To spread the gospel, to make disciples for him, to bring glory to him, and, and just glorify him with every aspect of our life. And so, if he's wanting to work through us, then it doesn't matter what our abilities are or inabilities are in our mind. He's going to be working through us. He wants to be able to bring glory to himself through us. And we forget that so many times. We feel that God can't 
work through us. Well, again, we're questioning God's power and his ability to use us. So, and then the third thing that we see with Gideon, God tells him that he's going to be with him. He gives him reassurance that I'm going to be with you. I'm going to use you. You're going to be the one that's going to lead Israel over the Midianites. But still, Gideon wants a sign, right? Verse 17, he said unto him, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. So he's kind of gotten rid of the whole, he can't do anything. You know, I'm, I'm not good enough for this job. Now he's kind of at a point where he's questioning, is this really God who's calling me to do this? Is this really God who's directing me um, to go do this, to lead the Israelites against the Midianites? And again, this, we find ourselves in that same exact, exact situation, right? When God, he finally gets rid of all of our other excuses, we still have doubts as to what his direction is for us. He removes any of our doubts in ourselves, in our abilities, and he says, listen, I'm with you. I, you don't have to worry about anything on your own. I'm going to be with you the entire time. And we still have doubts. Or maybe we're still uneasy. Maybe it has to do with like what we talked with Jonah. It's something that's uncomfortable for us. Right? We're a little uneasy with what it is that God is directing us to go do. And we still have those doubts. So if, if that's something that you're going through now and you, and you feel that this is where God's directing you, he's directing you to serve in this way, he's directing you to talk to this person, he's directing you to give up something in your life. If that's what you feel and you're still having doubts, you're not alone, right? Because Gideon, he, he was the same way. And the cool story about, the cool thing about the story of Gideon is that after God assured him that he was going to do this, like this whole thing with the fleece and the ground, that sounds like a pretty crazy thing, how cool God was able to um, make the ground wet, the fleece dry, and, and the opposite of that as well. But that wasn't even the coolest part of the story, right? First, you have the idea of how God built the army for Gideon, right? Gideon has this huge army that he thinks, okay, this is what we're going to go do it with, right? And God is like, no, it's too many people, right? That's you'd think that makes no sense. That's the complete opposite of a problem when you're building an army. There's no such thing as too many people. You'd think, in our human mind, if we have way too many people, then we get to go home earlier, right? We get the battle done, we go home, and we're, we're good. And that's not how God sees things, right? And so he, he whittles down his army little by little, and the way that he does it is crazy too, right? He, have them drink from the water. If, if they go down and lap it up like a dog, you know, kick them to the curb. If they use their hand, those are the people that, that you want with you. And so how he uses, how he whittles down Gideon's army to get the right people that he wants, that's a pretty amazing thing, right? And then you think of the battle plan itself. That was a pretty crazy battle plan, right? You're going to have these torches. You're going to put these clay pots over them. You're going to smash them. You're going to make a lot of racket. That sounds like nonsense, right? If you put together that kind of uh, that kind of strategy to go into battle, everyone's going to be like, all right, does anybody else want to lead? Because this guy, he clearly doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, you're going to try and find some other plan because that doesn't make any sense at all. But that whole story, the story of Gideon, it, it's, it's amazing to see God's power in that, right? Because all these crazy different ways that he calls Gideon, that he whittles down the army, the battle plan that he actually uses, in our mind, our human minds, that shouldn't work. They should have been defeated within like 10 seconds, pretty much. But God's power was the one that was working through them. So it's so cool how God ended up using the story as a whole 
as to, it's, it's a great example of Gideon's doubts to begin with, right? He was questioning his own abilities. It doesn't matter what our abilities are. It doesn't matter our limited resources. God's the one who's still in control. So basically, we need to trust that God is going to be God. Because we can look back over our lives, all these different circumstances and situations that we've dealt in our lives, and we can see how God's delivered us through those, right? We can look back and see how he showed his power to us in many different ways. But when we're going through it right now, somehow we completely forget that, right? We completely forget what he's already done for us. And we just need to remember who God is, and we need to trust that God is going to be God. So our third example, our third bad example that we're going to look at is going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 16. So go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel. And there's actually a couple different examples here, two different people, really. But uh, this is the story when God is sending Samuel to anoint David, right? Saul was the the king that uh, God first appointed over the kingdom of Israel. Um, We know how Saul failed how he really wasn't going after God's plan. He was kind of running things on his own ideas. So God is sending Samuel to go anoint David. But Samuel doesn't know who specifically he's going to anoint. He just knows where he's going to do it, and that's really all he knows. So let's go ahead and read 1 Samuel chapter 16, and we're going to read the first 13 verses. It says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul? Seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel, fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him whom I am who I name unto thee. Real quick, before we move on, right away Samuel is saying, I can't go, right? Because if Saul finds out what I'm going to do, he's going to want to kill me because Saul doesn't want to give up his crown. So right away Samuel kind of gives an excuse, and again, God shoots it down right away. All right, take this calf, say you're going to sacrifice it. That's kind of your cover to go. So verse 4, And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Comest thou peaceably? And he said, Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. And again Jesse made seven of his sons to pass before Samuel. And Samuel said unto Jesse, The Lord hath not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch him, for we will not sit down till he come hither. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was a ruddy and withal of a beautiful countenance, and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. 
And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. So as we go through that story, Samuel, he, he knows that he has to go anoint the next king of Israel. God says it's going to be one of Jesse's sons. And it's interesting to me that, you know, God could have told him right away, listen, it's going to be the youngest kid. He's going to be out watching the sheep. That's who you want to find. You know, that would have been much easier. Samuel go, hey, Jesse, get the kid in from watching the sheep. That's who we're going to anoint. But God didn't do that, right? Because God wanted to show Samuel again how it's not always how we see things. And that's what we learn here from, from Samuel and also from Jesse is that sometimes we think we have the right answer. We think we have a better plan. We've kind of touched on that before. But we think we have a better plan than God, right? So verse 6, we see that Samuel thought he knew for sure that Eliab was to be the king, right? He looked at him. He saw he's this big, strong-looking guy. He looks like a king. He's got the right look. Obviously, this is the one that God wants to be the next king. But God says no, right? And a lot of times we think that we know what God's plan is for us, but really we only think it's his plan because it looks good to us, right? It's something that, like, I'd like to do that. I'd like to be able to serve God in that, in that you know, capacity, be able to help him do these different things. Like, if, if, if God's calling you to missions and you're like, well, I would love to be able to serve God as a missionary to Hawaii, but obviously we know why that, that looks good to us. But maybe he's calling us to something other than that. Now, that's not to say that he wouldn't call us to do that, but we shouldn't just jump into something just because it looks good to us. So we think we know what God's plan is for us, but again, sometimes we just talk ourselves into that because it looks good to us. Um, and then we see in verses 8 through 10 how Samuel continues to look at Jesse's sons through his own eyes, right? The next one comes up, and he says, surely this is going to be him, and then on and on. And he keeps saying the same thing. This has got to be the guy, right? Because at, the, at a certain point, he's like, all right, it's got to be this one because you're looking at what you have left. It, it can't be any of them, right? And really, we'll try to find anything that looks good to us because we'll con continually try to find things on our own as opposed to seeking God. He, we, we ask him for that direction, and we get it. He, he gives us the direction, and it doesn't look good to us, like it didn't look good to Jonah. And so we, we try and find something else. We, we keep trying to look at these different things. And instead of just saying, God, okay, what is, what is it that you want? What is it that you want for me? When he's been trying to tell us, we can continue to ignore it. We keep trying to find these different things instead of just asking him to lead us in the right direction and, and really listening to what he has to say for us. And then, where we, so up until now, Samuel's kind of been our bad example as far as following God's direction, right? Because he's assuming things on his own. He's using his own eyes, his own understanding to, to try and pick the next king of Israel. But we also kind of see that Jesse's kind of a bad example to begin with too, right? Because... Samuel, the prophet, this is the, the connection from Israel to God at this moment in time, right? That's why when he came to town, everyone's like, are you here for, for good things or for bad? Are you here peaceably? What did we do wrong, right? So they're all questioning, like, why is Samuel here? So everyone knows that he's the, the nation's connection to God. And Jesse, he's told to gather up his sons and bring them to him. And he, he didn't think to gather to, to bring David in, right? And... And so Samuel, he just assumed, all right, these are all his kids. Because I told him to gather his kids, and that's what he did. But Jesse, he didn't even think to bring David in, which is interesting. Uh, but there's plenty of times when what God is calling us to do, what he's directing us to do, is the last thing that we would expect, right? 
David was such the, he was so much the last thing that Jesse would expect to be the one that Samuel was looking for that he didn't even call him in. He's like, oh, it's never going to be David. You know, we won't even bother. Let him watch the sheep. We won't even bother bringing him in. So plenty of times what God's plan is for us, it's the last thing that we would expect. We wouldn't even think about it. And so maybe that's why we don't understand what his direction is for us. He's telling us, and we're like, oh, there's no way that's it, right? That doesn't make any sense, right? Going back to our, our perceived inabilities. I can't do this, so there's no way he's actually calling me to do that. There's no way that he's asking me to give up this, this thing in my life. This is so important to my life, right? And again, we assume that we have the right answer. We know better than God. The, guy who, the, the God who created the universe, who gave us life, who even, he, he didn't just create life, right? He's also the sustainer of life. The, the God who sustains our life each and every day, we know better than he knows. So a lot of times, really, by looking at this story with Samuel and Jesse, we can just save ourselves a lot of time and hassle by just seeking God's plan from the start, right? Samuel, he came in, he followed God's plan as far as going to Jesse and getting his kids together. But the second that they were in front of him, he's already starting to judge, okay, this guy, he really looks like he's going to be the next king of Israel. He immediately just wasn't even trying to listen to what God had for him until he was like, all right, this is him. And God's like, nope, hold on a second. That's not him. And so if we were to just seek God's direction and be open to what it is that he's calling us to do and whatever the situation is, we're going to save ourselves a lot of time and a lot of hassle. So these are our three bad examples, right? We just look at three bad examples when it comes to following God's direction. We had Jonah, Gideon, and Samuel. But now we're going to look at three good examples, right? Because we don't, again, this isn't a how-to avoid God's direction. We, we want to leave with something that's going to give us some good examples. So the first one, we're not going to turn the passage, just going to reference the story, uh, the story of Abraham and Isaac, right? Abraham, God called him. He said he, that he was going to be the father of many nations, and him and his wife were so old that he pretty much had given up on that, that plan that God had given him. Uh, he didn't think that it was possible. God's in, God ends up blessing them with Isaac. And then a while after Isaac was born, God says, I want you to sacrifice Isaac, right? And so Abraham, he's probably, you know, extremely confused because God says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. And then this is the first, you know, legitimate son that I had because he had a different son uh, with, with another woman who wasn't his wife. So this is the first legitimate son, the only legitimate son that you've given me, and now you want me to sacrifice him. So he's probably confused, thinking God's just messing with him, God's toying with him. Um, but he was told to sacrifice his, his son. But what did he do? He gathers the supplies, and he took his son, and he went to go sacrifice him on the mountain, right? And even if there was any kind of hesitation by him, we could understand that, right? But that, that seems like the kind of thing that God would call us to that we would never really give in to. We would never want to go do something like that. But they go, he takes them up the mountain, he gets the supplies, and he just trusts God. He trusts that God is going to provide for him. And even as they're going up to the mountain, you know, Isaac, he's, he's old enough, he's smart enough, he can kind of look around. This isn't the first time that they've sacrificed something. He's looking around, and he goes, we've got all the supplies, we've got the wood, we've got, you know, all the things to build the altar, but we don't have anything to sacrifice. What's going on, right? He's probably thinking, you know, because at this point, Abraham's well over 100. He's probably thinking Abraham's lost it at this point. He forgot to bring something to sacrifice, What's going on? But even when Isaac is questioning Abraham, he still, 
he convinces Isaac, he, is, he says, listen, God's going to provide. The interesting thing about that is, again, Abraham probably still had some of his doubts. He still had some doubts. Even though he followed through, he was going to go do it. And then his son Isaac, he starts coming at him with these questions. That's not going to help him with his doubts, right? That's going to get him to question even more. But even in that situation, he still trusted God, and he encouraged his son, listen, trust God. God's going to provide. And we know that God, that God rewarded his faith by providing, um, he provided a ram for him to kill instead of having to sacrifice Isaac. So that's our first good example, right? Even when he had his own doubts, even when Isaac was kind of coming to question, question what was going on and that was going to make him question more, he still trusted God. The second example, we're going to turn to Joshua chapter 6 real quick. Joshua chapter 6. And we're going to read about, that's right, Joshua. So Joshua chapter 6, this is another example of God using these kind of crazy, outlandish battle plans, again, to just prove his power, really, to show how powerful and in control he is. So Joshua chapter 6, we're going to read verses 5 and 6. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up, up every man straight before him. So this is kind of the tail end. God's giving Joshua this plan to go at Jericho. So basically, God tells him, what you're going to do is for seven days, you're just going to march around Jericho. He tells him the order of how they're supposed to march. He tells him who's supposed to go. And he says, you're going to march around seven days. And on the last day, you're going to march seven times. You're going to make a lot of noise, and the city's going to crumble. You're going to take the city. Again, that's one of those things is like, that's ridiculous. There's no way that would ever work, right? And uh, we actually kind of talked about this again in a Thursday night Bible study. Um, you should uh, sign up for the next Bible study if you haven't. Um, but we were talking about this, how even if Joshua had, you know, a good-sized army and a, a legitimate battle plan as far as we're concerned, right, a battle plan that he would think would be a good battle plan to go with, Jericho still had the advantage, right? They had the big walls. They had the high ground. They had the advantage because they were within their fortress. So even if God were able to use the army of Israel to defeat them, that in itself would have been impressive, right? Because God would have, over, they, God would have used them to overcome the, the advantage that Jericho already had. But no, God gives them this, this crazy plan to march around, make a bunch of noise, and he's going to crumble the city, and then they can take it. Verse 6. And Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said unto them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Covenant. So verse 5, we get the tail end of the, the plan that God gives Joshua. In verse 6, he, he goes through the plan. He starts gathering the people. He starts getting them into place according to the plan that God gave them. So immediately he got God's direction and he went through with it. He immediately started to assemble the people according to the plan that was given to him. And then look real quick in, down to verse 16. So we, at this point, they've gone through with the plan. They're up to the last day. You know, they've gone around all the different times that God told them to go around. And in verse 16, it says, And it came to pass at the seventh time, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. Now, what's awesome about that is that God, he, he, God was using this plan You'd think throughout that whole week of them doing this, as they're going around, Josh was probably hearing from 
the people in the army, the people in Israel, why are we doing this? This is crazy. Joshua, you know, over those few days, he's probably starting to have some doubts, but he's continuing to go through with it. And then even on the last day, when it came to the time when they were supposed to make all the noise, he says, shout for the Lord hath given you the city. This is before the city crumbles. This is before they're able to go in and take it. This is the last thing that they were supposed to do. He knew that God was going to deliver, right? He trusted that God, listen, as crazy as this seems to me and probably everybody else looking at us, God's going to use it. And he had so much faith and trust in God that he, he, he gave them the command. He, he didn't, you know, kind of be like, all right, let's give this a shot, see what happens, right? He said, God has given you the city. Before they had even gone in and actually finished taking the city, he said, God has given you the city. So when he gave that command to shout, you can see the confidence. He knew that God would deliver. And then finally, our last uh, good example is our best example, and that would be Jesus. So if up in, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26, but if up until now you were thinking, all right, you know, these good examples that we have, they're just men, right? They're, they make mistakes. I don't really have to follow after their example. Well, this is Jesus, so there's no excuse. We're supposed to follow his example, right? So Matthew chapter 26, we're going to read just two separate verses here. And uh, this is right before Jesus is going to the cross. He's in the garden and he's, you know, he's gone to the garden with the disciples and he wants them to pray. He goes off by himself to pray um, because he understands what he's about to go through and he knows that he need, he, he has to go to God with this and he asks them to pray, right? We know. And then he goes back, he finds them sleeping. He's angry, yells at them, tells them to pray. He goes back to pray. But this is Jesus alone in the garden talking with the father before he's supposed to go to the cross. So Matthew chapter 26 and we're going to read verse 39. It says, And when he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And then verse 42. He went away again the second time and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, if this cup may, pass, may, may not pass away from me, except I drink it, thy will be done. So, we understand that when Jesus came, he was 100% God, 100% man, right? And he had to be. He had to be 100% man in order to be the sacrifice that we needed for our sins. But he also needed to be 100% God to be the sacrifice because it had to be a perfect sacrifice. So in this instance, Jesus is showing that he's definitely 100% man because, humanly speaking, he does not want to endure the cross, right? We've, you know, I'm sure we've all kind of heard what goes on in the crucifixion of Christ, the beating that he endured beforehand. And again, he's God, so he knows exactly what he's going to have to go through. And humanly speaking, he, didn't want, he did not want to have to endure that. He did not want to have to endure that pain and go through that torture. But in both verses, we see that even though he didn't want to experience the cross, humanly speaking, he still submitted to the Father's will. He said, listen, I know this isn't something that I, I want to do physically, but I know that this is what has to be done. And when we look to Jesus as an example for anything, really, we look and we see, okay, yes, I know I need to do as Jesus did. But then a lot of times we'll follow it up with, but he was God. He was perfect. There's no way that I can do that. And again, we're, we're thinking about our own personal abilities, right? We need to trust that, you know, if we're saved, we have the Holy Spirit in us, the power of God can work through us. So, yes, you know, if we were in that same situation, Obviously, we wouldn't want to go through with it. We wouldn't want to have to deal with all that pain and that anguish and that agony. 
but would we be willing to submit to God's will no matter what? And really, that's what we need to do. If we need to follow the example of Christ here, remember that we have the power of God in us with the Holy Spirit. It's not just up to us, but we must be willing to follow God's direction, even if it's uncomfortable, right? Like it was for Jonah. Follow God's direction, even if it's uncomfortable for us to do, or if we don't want to do it at all, right? It might be something like, I don't want to do that. God, there's no way that I'm going to do that. I do not want to do that. I don't want to give this up in my life. This is something that's been such an important part of my life. You know, I don't want to give this up. But God's saying, you need to give it up so that you can give more attention to me. So we need to be willing to follow God's direction, even if it's uncomfortable or if we don't want to do it at all. So to kind of wrap things up, right, we all know that we need to be seeking God's direction in our life. We know that. We know that as Christians, right, we know one basic thing that we're all called to do. There's no doubt in that. We need, we're called to take the gospel throughout the world, make disciples, and take, the, great, take the, the gospel in the Great Commission to everybody in the world. We know that much, right? So if you're somebody who's trying to actually genuinely seek God's direction in your life, and you're, you're not sure what he wants for you to do, and you're not sure, I don't know if he wants me to do this or that, at least we know that we're called to take the gospel to people, right? So you can start with that. And if we're doing that, that means we're seeking him. We're putting him first in everything. So as we're doing that, he's going to use different situations and circumstances to reveal his direction to us. But we know that, we're, that we should be seeking his direction, both on a day-to-day basis and what he wants us to do in our life for him. And many times, like I said, I think we sincerely want to seek his direction. We sincerely want him to give us that direction. But when it comes, or if we're waiting for it, we have doubts. We, we don't like what it is that he's calling us to do. We want to go the other way. Maybe we think we have a better idea of what we should be doing to serve God. Whatever it might be, we need to kind of look at ourselves today, kind of take a step back and say, God, if you haven't revealed your direction to me, am I truly seeking it? Or if I am truly seeking it, am I doing anything myself to try to avoid that direction? So, again, we might run the other way like Jonah. We might have doubts in God's plan like, like Gideon did. Or we might think that we have a better plan, we have a better idea for our lives like, like Samuel and even like Jesse. But, again, let's examine our lives today and figure out if we're trying to avoid God's direction in any way and, and begin to take steps to change that. All right, so let's remember the good examples that we had, the good examples of Abraham who just completely trusted God. Right? God called him to sacrifice his own son, and he, he went and did it anyway. He went and trusted that God was going to provide. He knew that God had a plan. You got to think about Abraham in that situation. He must have even thought, maybe God really does want me to sacrifice my son. Maybe he'll end up giving me another son. And so he probably even had the idea of, I might actually have to sacrifice my son. And he still went up that mountain with him, even when Isaac was asking questions. So we need to look to the good examples like Abraham, like Joshua, trusting in God no matter how crazy it might sound, and also like Jesus, to be willing to follow after his direction for us in whatever it might be, even if it's something that, that sounds like the worst thing in the world to us. So let's continually seek God's direction every single day and trust that he knows what is best for us and completely in control. So we're going to go ahead and pray right now. We're going to have a time of invitation. So let's bow our heads. And I just pray that as we go into this time of invitation, that, um, that we would all be able to take some time right now to take a step back, look at our lives, try and figure out if there's anything that we're doing uh, to, 
to avoid God's direction in our life, right? Again, maybe he's calling us to witness to, to people in our lives, coworkers, a stranger, family member, whatever it might be. Maybe he's calling us to do these things and we don't want to do it. Maybe he's calling us to serve in, in an area that's uncomfortable for us. And maybe he's calling us to give something up in our life. So I pray that as we go into this time of invitation, the, the band's going to come. We're going to lead in a song of worship. Uh, if, if there's something in your life that you feel that you're avoiding God's direction, uh, just take some time to pray, whether it's in your seat or up here at the altar. And uh, just seek God's direction in your life. If, if you don't know what that is, just continually seek after it. Again, remember that he's going to give that to, to us in his time. And uh, so let's go ahead and pray, and uh, we'll have a time of invitation. Dear God, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for uh, really just for your direction in our lives, God. Uh, even if it's something that we might not like, something that we're uncomfortable with, uh, something that we might have doubts, uh, God, I just pray that we would be, able to be willing to trust you, trust that you're completely in control, that your plan is best for us, trust that um, if it's something that you're calling us to do, that you're going to be able to work through us to fulfill that, God. I pray that we wouldn't have doubts in our own abilities, that we would recognize that it's going to be your power working through us, God. And again, I just pray that if there's anybody here who hasn't, um, they, they don't feel like they've received that direction, God. They've been seeking it and they feel like they're not getting anything back, any answer back. I just pray that they would continually seek you each and every day. Understand that you're, you're going to give that direction in your time, God that they can just continue to seek you each and every day, uh, minute by minute, God, just to put you first in every situation. And I pray if there's anybody here who doesn't even know you, they don't even understand the idea of your direction for your, their life because they haven't even accepted uh, your gift of salvation. I pray that uh, that they could, that you would continue to work on their hearts, God, that, that they could come to know you, that they would be, able to be willing to give their life to you, God, to live and be a living sacrifice for you each and every day, that you can give them that direction for their life and show them that you want to be able to use them to bring you glory and to uh, fulfill your mission to us. So I just pray that you be with us throughout this morning and uh, throughout our week. For everything in Jesus' name, amen. If you want to come forward and pray, go ahead and do that. You can do that in your seat, but go ahead and stand with us. We're going to do a song of invitation.